Hostess Theater presents Iron Man in Rust Be My Destiny. The Dried Up Fools, I, Waterman, will control all this when it turns to rust. Weird. Every time I turn around, trouble at the factory. Now it's flood. Good thing I'm always ready for weirdness. I can always smell trouble and water. Yes, you can smell water, but can you take it without the rusting? Oh my gosh, I forgot I'll rust to death. If I don't watch out. Rust! Rust while you rust away! The delicious hostess cupcakes stored in the factory lunchroom will be all mine! <laughs> that does it, Waterman. This intensified blast of my power ray will turn you and the flood to steam. Our boss, Mr. Stark, will be happy thanks to Iron Man. You saved his chocolatey icing. Devil's food cake. And cream filling. Well, that's all water under the bridge for now. And I can't afford to get rusty, so I'll keep moving. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Cupcakes. Hostess is a registered trademark of ITT Continental Baking Company. Welcome to Back to the Bins. This is our shameless coattail riding Iron Man 3 tag-along episode, whatever the hell you want to call it. We are going to be talking about Iron Man this episode, and uh, joining me as always are my buddies Paul Spataro and Dr. Bill. (laughs) Real life with Dr. Bill Robinson. I am Iron Man. (laughs) Although, it's a lot of iron to make my suit. <laughs> Lead man. Lead man. Actually, you know, you should you should cosplay as, as lead from the metal man, actually. That, I, hey! <laughs> oh, sorry. At least he didn't tell you to be mercury. <laughs> oh, God. Little skinny pipsqueak one. Wow, well, that'll be Chris. <laughs> hey, hey. He's already starred as the Vulture in the next uh, Spider-Man movie. <laughs> who's who's the chicken metal man? Platinum? Platinum. I guess that would be the one that you don't want to be told to be. <laughs> yeah, you should be platinum. What? So, where are we going from here? Well, we're going to skip over emails for this time. Well, we're going to do the one letter, correct? Are we? I what thought did we, we decide do the one? on that? I All thought right. we were going to do the one and then go on right. to our... 
I don't know what the Where were you? We just I, I know it's yes. a, Have you been practicing this in front of a mirror or something? <laughs> <laughs> Who was going to read this one? Did you want to read this one? I, I got this All one. All right. This is from our buddy, Andrew Leyland. Hello, Ooh. Andy. You, you met Andy once or twice, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he does a little show. It's all right. Uh, just, that just makes us all feel inferior. He does that thing with that guy that they talk yeah. about that stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His, epi- his letter is titled, Namor, Scion of Atlantis. Oh, God. Dearest Bill, Scott, Chris, Paul, Mike, me, or whoever else is on the show this week. <laughs> I recently listened to you tear off on Namor, the Avenging Sun, Prince of Atlantis, the First Mutant, Imperious Rex, the Submariner, etc., in which you said he was arrogant, a dick, unheroic, didn't know which way the wind blew, and was, for all intents and purposes, rather unlikable. When are you going to list his bad characteristics? (laughs) I bet you all prefer that bland, bi-quiffed punts, Aquaman, don't you? Hell yes, I do. Aquaman rules, dude. I think that's bequiffed. Bequiffed. Oh, okay. Which sounds about really hair. rude, actually. It yeah. does. Uh, and Andy can be rude when, once in a while. <laughs> and it's, uh, he fo- finishes that up, you answered, and he finishes it up with, there's just no accounting for taste. Take care, Andy. <laughs> I, I'm, I go back and forth on it, because this recent run on Aquaman was really good, or is really good. It hasn't ended yet. Is uh, that the one by uh, Jeff Johns and Paul mm-hmm. Pelletier? I need to check that out because uh, I was looking at uh, uh, Pelletier's work on that. He had some of his pencil pages out at Megacon. And I was looking at it going, when the hell did Pelletier work on Aquaman? And we, I talked to him about it, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm working on it right now. I had no idea because I'm not following you know, the, the new DC stuff, the 52 stuff. So I had no idea, but... I'd like to check it out because his art's already gorgeous to begin with, but it looked like he was really pulling out all the stops with this. Well, you could you could pick that run up right from number one. I'm sure it's if it's not in trade yet, it's gonna be. Uh, but the, the early stuff is, uh, I guess, Yvonne Reese, and uh, that's really good too. It's really pretty pages. Who's inking him on that? I could not tell you. Yeah, I, I need to check it out. Is it something where you can just dive in, or do you have to like read 50 other books to understand what the hell is going on? Well, I would say start with issue one of this particular series, but you can just jump in at issue one. That's cool. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's what I meant was, you know, I mean, I don't mind reading, you know, a lot of back issues of that one title to get, you know, caught up, but I don't want to have to read like, you know, JLA and, you know, Batman and Green Lantern and all no, this other no. crap to understand what's going on in one book. You know what I mean? There's one short crossover with uh, JLA mm-hmm. uh, in, I guess it's like Aquaman 15 and JLA 15, maybe the 15 and 16 of each, something like that. But that's huh. it. That's the only crossover. And they make, you know, it's got a sense of humor to it, but basically Aquaman and Mira are both badass in it. Yeah. Uh, as of issue 18, I have Sean Parsons as the inker. Um, I just opened up 18. Hmm. I don't recognize that name. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to check that out. It's definitely on my on my to-do list to, to check that out. But to get to the other side of that equation, I like the character of Namor. I, I kind of... He's, he's, he's like, you know, he is a dick. <laughs> but he's a cool dick. It's fun to read him. <laughs> I, I like the arrogant way he's presented. 
I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan. But that said, I mean, there are times that I've thought, you know, hey, this is pretty cool because I liked. There was a story in uh, Stern's Avengers where uh, I'm trying to remember the which one of them it was. Either he or Mer- or Herc were were like really morose and 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 like depressed or something, and the other one picked a fight just to snap him out of it. And I can't remember which one it was which. I want to say it was Namor was pouty. And Herc picked a fight just to whoop his ass to like because he knew that you know the the battle would kind of snap him out of it kind of thing. I, I think that's how it went down, if I remember. And and I always liked the part in uh, the uh, Captain America and the Avengers arcade game where you would get to the level where Namor would come and help you out. I always thought that was pretty cool too. So yeah, I just always wondered how he could hold up his whole body weight with those tiny little wings. Yeah, that's. That's one of the more ridiculous things. Why? No, no, he's the hummingbird of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I understand the whole mutant aspect and everything, but his mutation, you know, revealing itself as tiny little wings that he can actually fly with, it seems that's a bridge too far. You know what I mean? That's a little stupid. Why wouldn't it be a more aquatic or land-based... Uh, characteristic of human beings or fish rather than suddenly you've got bird characteristics. That just seems really strange to me. I don't, I never got that. I never understood that. That's why he's a mutant. Well, I know, but I mean, was it ever really explained? Well, I, I, I don't know. Then again, there's Angel, so I don't know. But it just, it always seemed really bizarre to me. Yeah, my mutant powers, I'm kind of a little dopey sometimes. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's- you- you you really rock that power too. <laughs> That's Chris Honeywell's superpower too. <laughs> when did it manifest itself? Was it was it at puberty? <laughs> uh, well, are we ready to just dive right into this? I'm going to jump into some Iron Man. Yes, some Gosh. Iron Man. Watch out! We don't want to dive too deep. We'll rust. Well, before we get into that. I just I want I'm just curious how how excited are you guys for the new movie? I'm really looking forward to it. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm going to take my son. I want to see where where they're going to uh, go. And, you know, move it up to the next Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm kind of curious to what the after, um, what the end credit scene is going to be. I've seen some rumors, but uh, I don't know if that's true or not. It's, I it's, have not yet, and I, yes. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah, I, I know. All I know is it has something to do with Iron Man, Nick Fury, and the Mandarin, and an ice cream parlor, and that's all I know. So, hmm. but I, I, in fact, I even heard the most recent trailer is a little spoilerish, and I've been avoiding it. Yeah, in fact, I oh. think I heard it on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. I think yeah. somebody had said it, so I've hmm. been avoiding it to now, and I only have. As we're recording this, I have two weeks to go to avoid it and see the movie clean, and I'm hoping to do that. Although I have seen recent images of the Mandarin, like more full than what they showed in the previous uh, trailer, and they actually look pretty cool. Does he have a big M on his chest? <laughs> no, but it looks look like he has. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it looks like he's got the he's got the ten rings on his hands. Yeah, I always like the Mandarin. Especially did in some read, of the did later. Did you read the book I'm going to do? I was just going to say, I, I liked him until Paul's pick, and then I'm like, wow. <laughs> Not so much. 
hate to give away everything right up front, but boy, <laughs> what a surprise this was. I, I don't think I ever read this before, but I guess I'm going to jump right into it since we're already uh, yeah discussing it. I decided to go with the first appearance of the Mandarin since he's going to be the villain, featured villain in the new movie, which is in Tales of Suspense number 50. And I'm actually surprised I never read this before because I could have sworn I had gone through all of these and I have the Marvel Masterworks with it. But it's I, it's your brain defending your logic center that you just it's blocking it for you. You maybe, know what I mean? Maybe that's what it is. This has got a cover date of February of 1964, a 12 cent cover price. The cover shows the Mandarin sitting on a throne and he's casually shooting a ray from one of his rings and apparently causing a gate to come down and trap Iron Man. In the background and in the foreground, there are armed soldiers closing in. Uh, I wasn't sure who drew it, and I looked at Mike's Amazing World, and I found it, and he says it's penciled by Jack Kirby and inked, not inked, inked by George Russos. And I really like this cover. It's dynamic. It uses space well. It shows the Mandarin in in a regal pose and yet barely having to expend any type of energy in order to get the upper hand on Iron Man. Uh, it's, It's just... There's something going on in every aspect of it. There's a lot of detail to it. I really, really like this cover. The story is called The Hands of the Mandarin, and it's written by Stan the Man Lee, which I think this is my first Back to the Bins that I've ever picked a Stan Lee book to review. It's penciled and inked by Don Heck, and the letters are by Ray Holloway. And uh, I know there's a current letter of Maury Holloway, and I wonder if there's a relation there. Now, remember how I gushed about the cover and said how great it was? Forget that, because the splash page in this book is absolute shit. <laughs> There's a shot of the Mandarin drawn in about as offensive an, of an Asian stereotype as humanly possible. It, it brings to mind a lot of the cartoons from the 1940s that they won't even show on TV anymore because they're so offensive. Anyway, he's standing over some type of electronic crystal ball blathering on and on about how Iron Man doesn't even know who he is, but that he's sworn to destroy him just the same. A flunky, who's also kind of an offensive stereotype, comes in and tells the Mandarin that some emissaries of the Red Government are there. The Mandarin is outraged, but lowers the drawbridge to let them come in. The men come forward, and they're afraid of the Mandarin, but they're also afraid of the communist overlords who sent them. The Mandarin somehow raises a portion of the floor that the men are standing on, brings it up into the air and brings it to the room where he is. And when they're given an audience, they ask for the, ma- the Mandarin to share the secrets of his rings so that they can menace the world with nuclear destruction. The Mandarin's outraged by this and gives them 60 seconds to leave. That's it. 60 seconds. I'll wait. <laughs> I don't really get that. Meanwhile, half a world away, Iron Man is at a meeting at the Pentagon and he's telling the people there that he's never heard of the Mandarin but he agrees to get them information on him. Quickly returns to Stark Enterprises, puts on an ascot tie, pisses off some guy who was going to honor him with a dinner, yells at Happy Hogan for punching that guy, and doesn't notice Pepper's new hairdo until she points it out. With all that important business out of the way, he travels to Red China by plane, and he leaps from the plane, and he's spotted by some Chinese army men, but they just dismiss him because they think he fell to his death because he jumped out without a parachute. And they start, like, cackling about it. 
Iron Man makes his way to Mandarin's castle and is attacked by his private guard, but makes quick work with, of them with his transistor-powered muscle, uh, muscles and jet-swift jet speed. Within the castle, the Mandarin sees Iron Man approaching and uses a big magnet-shaped device to shoot oh, a magnetic ray and draw him towards the for- fortress. He's deposited into a chamber where the walls close in, but he escapes through a vent. And then next, the Mandarin uses a paralysis ray, which Iron Man dispels using the ultra beam from his chest thingy. He charges the Mandarin, but misses due to the use of mirrors. And they both activate some type of high-frequency waves, which you know that they're high-frequency waves because you see little musical notes that look all kind of like distorted on the uh, page. And they cancel each other out. Mandarin then uses his paralysis ray again, but this time with some success, and decides to toy with Iron Man. At that point, we cut back to home where Pepper calls Harry Happy and asks him out to dinner. Happy accepts and is ready to move, move in on Pepper while Tony's out of town. Back in China, Iron Man is recovering from the paralysis ray, and the Mandarin removes his robe to show that he has a big M on his chest. On his next layer of clothing, he's got like, I don't know, must it looks like about 20 layers of clothing on. He says that he's the greatest karate master in the world, and he splits an iron bar with a karate blow to prove it. Iron Man feels weak and concludes that while he was paralyzed, the Mandarin tampered with his transistors. He tried to, tries to come up with a plan as the Mandarin prepares to karate chop him to death. While this is happening, Iron Man stops to study his slide rule calculator in his arm. Huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. The Mandarin tries to chop him, and Iron Man counters the blow and knocks him out. As he beats the pa- beats a path to the exit, he gloats aloud about how he figured out how to turn his body so that Mandarin's hand would strike at the wrong angle. Huh? He rendezvous with the plane that dropped him off and returns home where he joins Pepper and Happy, and our love tri- triangle continues. We get one last shot of the Mandarin sitting on his throne, planning his next strike, and the story ends. Now, this book did include a second story, a, uh, a Tales of the Watcher, which... Uh, oh, it didn't was... have Cap in it yet? No, this was probably about five... I think Cap started in 55 or 56. Oh, okay. So it's got a Tales of the Watcher story, which are just, you know, basically, you know, your typical, you know, ironic, you know, shorts, but just with the Watcher narrating them. And it was it was not a particularly good one. It's so I'm I'm not going to even go into that one. But this is uh, you know, there's a considering it was only 14 pages long, there was a lot of stuff covered in this story. I'll give it that. But a lot of just real stupid stuff. You yeah. notice the Mandarin on the in the last the very last panel, his, one of his hands is all bandaged up. He looked. It looks like a stump. <laughs> it it does. It, it looks it's like just, he lost his hand. Is what it looks like. He broke my hand. Plus, course, it really looks Iron like... Iron Man figured it out with his slide rule and made him hit wrong. <laughs> oh. Who's laughing Nothing now, na- Sonny Jim? <laughs> it looks like he's on his throne, too, if you know what I mean. I mean, it looks like he's he's doing a little grunt right there. That's nasty. It's out that white line is. That's the smell. <laughs> <laughs> he's burning insects to cut the odor. I... I- I've never been much of a Don Heck fan, and this book is kind of why. 
Uh, Pepper Potts looks pretty good in a few, few scenes. You know, that's the thing. Like when you read about, you know, people cri- you know critiquing his artwork, they all say he drew such beautiful women. Uh, I don't know. She's okay. I, I completely agree with you. I have never been a fan of Don Heck. I don't see that ever changing. But if I'm not mistaken, I, I just finished reading uh, Marvel The Untold Story, which uh, I really, really enjoyed. And I think one of you guys sent me that, if I'm not mistaken, so I do appreciate that very much. Um, I think his was the story in there that shook me up so much. There was, there was a couple of different stories that really like affected me. And I think it was his was the one where it was actually the the author presented like journal entries of his, basically giving you insight into what he was thinking at the time when he made these journal entries. And it was just depressing. It was so sad that he was like, you know, I can't get work. I talk to everybody. They're just avoiding me. They're blowing me. And And it was like, you know, the guy's starving. And he was one of the stars of the Silver Age of Comics, you know, help create Marvel or, you know, at least build them up, you know, with with this character and everything. And and here he was in the 80s, you know, reduced to begging. And it was really heartbreaking. Mm. Well, it's, you know, when we talked about Carmine Infantino on uh, Comics Monthly Monday, I was saying it's a separate thing to critique the guy as a man. Right. And as an artist. Right, exactly, yes. I don't care for Don Heck's art, but that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't make him a piece of shit. It's, right. you know, he, he could have been the greatest guy ever. I don't know. Yeah. Is he still around? I have no idea. I, I honestly can't remember. But, uh, but by all accounts that I've ever heard, he was, you know, really a heck of a guy, you know, a really nice guy and everything. But, yeah. That said, though, I, I do completely agree with you. His art style is just uh, its just not for me. I, I think part of it is a, a very sketchy style. I'm never a fan of the sketchy style, whether it's Don Heck or you know Joe Kubert or any of those guys. I, I, just, I don't really like the, the thin, sketchy style. He passed away in 1995. Aw. He was born in Queens. What a shame. That's sad. Yeah. Because I know that uh, despite not liking him, or liking his art, rather, uh, I do have a lot of it for some reason. Well, he did a lot of, like, Wonder Woman, like, just before she got rebooted, you know, with Crisis on Infinite Earths and all that. He he had quite the run on that. I've got a lot of that stuff and some other stuff, too. I can't remember. He did a lot of Avengers issues. Yeah. And then, but then Iron Man, the art in Iron Man... Uh, eventually went, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was directly from from uh, Don Heck or if there was somebody else in between, but eventually Gene Colan took it over, mm-hmm. and he took it over initially under some, you know, assumed name, because his, technically he was employed by DC and didn't want to lose his job. Uh, but you can see over the course of about three or four issues, you know, he, he let his own style kind of take over from the house style. And as soon as he let his own style take over, that's when the art in the book really took off. Well, I didn't mean to uh, to bring the room down. I'll try to bring this back a little bit. Um, dude, this story is top to bottom just... Stupid. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's retarded, man. It's really... I mean... 
for one, the the big thing that jumped out at me at this, I, I'm tempted to just go page per page, almost panel per panel, because I, I've got something. That's the thing. I started taking notes on this, and I had to quit. I was filling a notebook. <laughs> Because it was literally like every single panel I found something to comment on. It, it's ridiculous. But uh, the big one that jumped out at me is when they finally get into their fight, Iron Man and the Mandarin, suddenly the, the big... Because he, he alludes at least once prior, the Mandarin does, to having a secret weapon. And when it finally gets to it on page 10, the Mandarin says... And so, Iron Man, prepare to meet your finish at the hands of the greatest karate master the world has ever known. Um, he's a Mandarin. Karate is Japanese. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just going to let that lie right there. But now, in fairness, the panel where he's saying that, that's probably the best art in the book. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. That's not a bad shot of his face at all there. You know what that looks like? I really hate to say this, but you know what that really looks like? That looks like 90s and aughts burn. Doesn't it? Wow. And a lot, you know, it's like some yeah. of those projects that he worked on. Like, Where he's uh, yeah, yeah, when he chops through the bar there. I, yeah. I, I did think that was one of the best looking panels in, in the book. It is. I don't think it's one of the best. I think it is the best. I, yeah. I don't think there's anything else that competes with it unless you want, you know, Happy Hogan in his boxes and garters. I was just <laughs> going to say that. <laughs> he looks like, uh, oh, crap, what's his name? The guy that, that directed the movie that played John him. Favreau? John Favreau. John <laughs> Favreau. He looks like John Favreau right there, too. It's hysterical. He looks kind of like Barting Rubble, like two two panels later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like the cauliflower ears. It's awesome. Well, he is a retired boxer. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense that he would have cauliflower oh, ears. I love the moment at the beginning of the story where... Uh, so so Stark is supposed to be giving some sort of... You know, some sort of to-do for his employees and everything. And he gets a call from Washington, basically. Now, I wanted to re-examine this because it hit me at the end of the story... Um, he just, after fighting the Mandarin for a little bit, gets the upper hand, and he just flies away. I thought the whole idea was to take this guy out. Was Am I missing something, or was it just to gather information? Well, the, the way they say it, it was to gather information. Oh, okay. That's what he agreed to do, to go and get information for them. But when the guy attacks you like that, I don't know that you just fly away. Just because you, you made him hit his hand wrong. Well, it, it's and, like and made him cry. <laughs> It the Mandarin's, felt- the Mandarin's doing the thing for the Family Guy. He's standing there going, ah, <laughs> ah, ooh. <laughs> it just felt to me like maybe Iron Man's focus and mission kept changing through the course of the story, because there's a there was a moment in the fight with the Mandarin where he said something to the effect of you know you're just too dangerous to live or something to that effect and it was like oh all right so he's going to try to take this guy out and then like a couple of panels later he's like okay well I survived the fight so I'm just going to fly away now and it's like what all right make up right, your mind dude I know you're about to hit me but hold on for just a second because I got to check this on my slide rule calculator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I 
I take the reverse vector and I do the cosine and I do. Oh shit, duck! <laughs> I mean, the, the dialogue there. At an angle of thirty-eight degrees, the velocity decreases by fifty-two percent. It's my only chance. <laughs> really, really. Wow. <laughs> All right, Stan. You you really weren't on your game with this one. At least the uh, the Asian folks are not depicted in any sort of racist or uh, biased. Oh, no, um, no, yeah. Oh no, there's no need to bother. His parachute did not <laughs> open. He's supposed to his death from so great a height. Debungling democracies cannot even make shoots that work correctly. <laughs> oh, no, no, nothing stereotypical there. These remind me of, of Joe Jitsu from the old Dick Tracy cartoons, <laughs> which they won't show anymore because they're so racist. Oh, my God. The panel before, ah, it actually says, ah, a Yankee-type jet has dropped a spy over our territory. Oh, God. Man. It's, I do it's, like this page. Though. It's page, uh, page four. Where Stark, after he talks to the guys from Washington, he's he's suiting up as Iron Man, or actually he's he's changing from Iron Man back to his uh, t- tuxedo or whatever this is supposed to be. He comes out and one of the employees is all smiles and everything. He says, "Hey, you know, thanks for uh, having the thing in our honor tonight and all that." And Tony's, like, oh, "I'm sorry, dude, I can't make it." And the guy gets all pissy with him. He's like, "Yeah, whatever. You can't waste time with flunkies and everything." And Happy just walks over and belts the guy in the mouth. I love that. I, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> hey, the guy's name is Bill. <laughs> Says, I'm sorry, Bill. Yep. That's great. Sure, the boss can't be bothered wasting time with us poor stooges. Whack! Mm. <laughs> 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 now, do either of you guys know, was this a story that would have been adapted for the animated series? Because that would have been great. I'm not sure. I think it may be. I have all, right. all of those, but there's there's still some of them I haven't seen because I love the Cap ones. I love the Thor ones. I don't know that I've watched all the Iron Man and Submariner ones. I'm going to have to check because I also have DVDs of those. Yeah. Uh, now, they did do this as a miniseries. I think when the first Iron Man movie came out, they adapted this as a six-issue miniseries. Uh, called Enter the Mandarin. And Ah. I don't think I've ever read it, but if I remember, like, the covers, it almost looks like the Rocketeer in the covers. Oh, wow. Hmm. I wonder who worked on that. I'm trying to look it up. Oh, okay. Doing my my usual quality job of talking and looking (laughs) up at the same time. Uh, Yeah, so, like, uh, Uh, yeah. Okay, it's uh, written, written by Joe Casey. And drawn by Eric Canet, C-A-N-E-T-E. Hmm. I don't recognize that name. What what effect were these high-frequency waves supposed to uh, have on the Mandarin? Because it... All right, so as soon as Iron Man arrives at the Mandarin's place... He gets pulled in by a magnet and deposited in the stereotypical room with the with the walls closing in, which I'm really sick of seeing at this point. Iron Man. Well, flies. this was before they did it in Star Wars. Well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> but he flies through a vent, crashes in on the Mandarin, and then the Mandarin shoots a beam at him. Iron Man deflects it. Iron Man's feeling way overconfident, 
uh, overconfident rather. And then Mandarin, I, I guess he throws him into something. So Iron Man gets up, touches this thing on his belt, and he says, uh, "And he says, and if you're too tricky for my uh, for me to get my hands on, then I'll catch you with a blast of high frequency waves. Nothing can escape them." I'm thinking, what? Do you see like the freezing musical notes? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> They, they, made my, they made my ear cold. I didn't. I didn't understand what the. It's like he's basically playing a radio too loud at him. Well, I think like Stan Maybe. didn't really have an understanding of technology. Uh, no, that's why. That's why every weapon he had was you know my transistor strengthened thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always felt really strong back then if I carried a transistor radio around. Right. Because yeah, apparently, I, apparently they they move things. Yeah, oh. I think I think I got a link to uh, Doctor Bill's real life. <laughs> Let me try because I study. Now, for- ladies and gentlemen, it's time for real life with Doctor Bill Robinson. Thank you, everyone. I'm trying to remember back to my time when I was in the Navy and I studied microwave frequencies. <laughs> I'm not quite sure these cancel each out each other out. I'll get back to you next episode. All I know about microwave frequencies is you have to cook the burrito at least three minutes, and you have to flip it over <laughs> midway through the cycle. So, Well, the other thing I did learn while I was in A school when I was in the Navy is that you can cook a hot dog with two forks and an extension cord and an, and an electrical outlet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's brilliant. But kids, don't try that at home. And if you do, use a cheese hot dog because when the cheese squirts out, you know the hot dog's done. <laughs> well, I actually did major in electronics in high school and i can tell you that transistors don't work the way stan lee would have you think they work what i think he meant was capacitors somebody really should have filled him in on that at some point but (laughs) yes stan capacitors hold a charge and discharge it right (laughs) like a flux capacitor yes Oh my god, you could literally, you could make a three-hour show out of just ripping this story to pieces. I, I just Every single panel gives me something I want to go off about. This is ridiculous. The hands of the Mandarin have ten fingers. Yeah, no shit. Everybody's hands have ten fingers, well, for the most part. Well, not true. <laughs> Unless you're James Doohan, I guess. But And each one is a mighty weapon in itself. Alright, well, maybe each finger's not a mighty weapon. But I got ten fingers, buddy. I'll give Stan this much, though. At least on page 12, that last panel, at least he did go back and have Iron Man you know, overly explain exactly what we had seen in those prior panels. Because I was lost. Because at the top of the page, you've got Iron Man literally using a friggin' slide rule that's on his arm, which is just... I, that's the point where I was just about done with this story. I was like, all right, what... I thought this guy was about to break his skull in half or something, and he's standing here literally using a friggin' slide rule. And then the Mandarin, instead of finishing his death blow, starts taunting him and, and saying so. And then when, conveniently when Iron Man's done with his calculations, he continues with his swing. Then you get this panel that looks like an elbow or a kneecap or I don't know what the hell that is. And then the Mandarin looks like he's having a heart attack. Arg. Yeah, he just grabs. It looks to me like he's grabbing his chest or his arm and falling. He falls unconscious, and I'm like, "What the <laughs> hell just happened there? I don't understand." But thankfully, he does explain that. Uh, 
Yeah, he used his calculator and <laughs> turned his body exactly the way it would take to injure his hand. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the hell was... What? And uh, I'm sorry, Don Heck, but the way he draws Iron Man flying like... Uh, he looks like a ragdoll somebody's throwing across the room. When he's I, running or when he's flying? When he's flying. I hate it when people draw flying figures not to have... You know, I, I, you know, I realize that they don't want to make everybody that flies look like Superman. I get that. But put your legs together. Nobody wants to see that. You know, put put your legs together at least so that you look like a, a, a flying human being, like a flying superhero. And then, you know, do if you want to change it up from Superman, then do something different with the arms or something. But flying basically spread eagle looks ridiculous. Yeah, nobody wants to see your sunny gym. <laughs> oh, man. Which I just tried to look that up, and I can't find a meaning for it. <laughs> Wow, this one was, uh, yeah, this was different. What's funny is I have come to really like the Mandarin, too, because there have been some really good Mandarin. As a matter of fact, my pick, um, I was going to pick a story that was a big crossover story that was a little bit post the book that Bill's going to talk about. I can't remember the name of it. I want to say it may have been The Hands of the Mandarin. Is that the one that that crossed with the Force Works and War Machine? Yes, yeah. yeah. It was like a 14-part story or something like that. Is that that the one at the end where he gets his hands blown off? Well, there was that one. I I considered doing that one. But there's another one. I can't remember the name of it, but it was... um, that actually, the one I'm thinking of may not have been. There was that one that you guys are talking about, which I, I liked a lot. But there, there was another one that maybe it wasn't a crossover. Maybe it was just a multi-part story. But it's the one where it basically reveals the whole backstory of um, fin, fin Fang Foom and his people, and and how they came to Earth and what they really are and everything. And somehow the Mandarin was involved in that story. I really liked that. I thought it was that was. The, well, yeah, because the rings were part of the ship. Exactly, yeah. And and that was what kind of turned my opinion of the Mandarin. Once I read that story, I was like, you know what? Now I kind of like this guy. Because up to that point, I saw him kind of like this as kind of just, you know, a, a kind of a, a not, I don't want to say racist, but it's just kind of an embarrassing villain, yeah. you know, from a, from an earlier time. But then I read that story, and it, the, I can't remember who wrote that. I want to say it might have been Michelini. But he made it really, really awesome. And I never thought that I would think a story with the Mandarin, Fin Fang Foom, dragons, and alien shit would be awesome. But it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And I I wanted to bring that to the table tonight, but it's a multi-part story that I just... Frankly, I didn't have time to sit down and reread the entire thing. And I didn't want to do a chapter of it without knowing the whole story, you know, uh, being right. really fresh and familiar with it all over again. But maybe, maybe at some point in the future, we'll be able to take a look at that because I thought that was a really good story. There's a there's a later Iron um, Mandarin story. I don't remember if it's in the 2000s, um, where the Mandarin has the rings bonded to his spine. Have either of you read that? Ooh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I think uh, if I remember correctly, Tony rips them out of his like, like they're basically stuck in his back, but half of them are sticking out, and I think he like runs a spike up between them and rips them all out of his back. Ow! Yeah. <laughs> ow! Ow! Little back teen. Ow! Ow! And don't be such a baby. 
<laughs> could, you, could you imagine? I mean, this guy passed out because he hit his hand on, on Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> could, could you imagine how he reacted to having his, his spine ripped out? <laughs> Here it is. I'm trying to find what, uh, what the name of that story was, and it's making me crazy. Let's see if I can find it real quick here. It looks like... All right, it looks like it started in 270... Yeah, it started in 270 and ran through 275. It was called uh, the Dragon Seed Saga. That was the name of it. It was good stuff. I liked that a lot. I, I don't know who the who the team was. It looks like uh, Ryan and uh, Wyacek are doing the covers. I have no idea if they're in the interior team. And of course, I don't remember who did the who was writing on the book at that time. I don't know. John if Byrne was writing it. Oh, okay. It says John Byrne, resident writer. Ah, okay. Uh, Paul Ryan, penciler, Bob Wycheck, inker. That was good stuff. I liked that one a lot. And then there was that later one you guys were talking about. The uh, the crossover thing was, uh, I think that one was The Hands of the Mandarin. And that one crossed over with Oh, uh, no, with his, several. his uh, hold on a second. Do, 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 do. No, his hands are blown off at the end of this. Yeah. I, I just looked through, yeah, so... Yeah, I think he ends up getting them back in the story that you were talking about. The, I think that one is called "The Hands of the Mandarin." Yeah, and he gets my like hands rep- got blown off, but they got better. <laughs> well, he gets reptilian hands later. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What? I'm see. I'm looking through my cover gallery, but I'm not. I'm not seeing it. I mean, I may not have those issues. I know that I was trying to track down all the pieces to that story in the other books because for some reason. Um, Force Works and certain later issues of the very first War Machine series are kind of hard to find. I don't know why. I mean, they're not worth anything, but they're just, I guess the print run was really low or something. So I've been trying to find the individual chapters of that story. Maybe I've never actually finished reading it because I don't have all the issues. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm not seeing exactly what issues that was anyway. But anyway... Sorry, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent. Well, it's all right. Considering I only had a 14-page story, we got, I think, a lot of discussion out of it. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of it, Bill? I, I, do we hear your uh, your thoughts on this one? I was, you know, it actually is the first time that I've read it. I, I've, I've never really read anything back beyond uh, before Iron Man number one. Um, so this was this was kind of new for me. But it's it's reminiscent of, of the style back then, which you know the the good old Marvel days, the over exposition. Sometimes the artwork, yeah, like here, is is a bit of a miss. But uh, it's nice to see the Mandarin's first appearance, even if it is kind of hokey. You know, because because we see where he goes in the future. You know, it kind of makes up for it. Although I don't know if we ever see his karate master skills again. Yes, we do. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we do. I think eventually it gets changed to Master of Martial Arts, which I can live with. But mm-hmm. in this, it just drove me crazy that it was specifically referred to as karate. And as which ignorant as funny. I am of Chinese and Japanese culture, even I know that. You know, I mean, so yeah, that came from Okinawa. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure in one of the later episodes, maybe or later issues, maybe in t- still entails a suspense. But I'm pretty sure. They get into a hand-to-hand combat situation, and basically, like as the as the Mandarin kind of chops at him, it starts to like kind of rip his armor apart. Right. Yeah. 
I, I, like I said, I think it's late, late in the Tales of Suspense run. See, I could swear that I've read everything of Tales of Suspense from when Iron Man debuted right to the end of that series. Because a while back, this is several years ago, but a while back I was on a read-through of Iron Man and Captain America. And they both spin out of this title. But like you, Paul, I don't remember ever reading this story before. And that's bizarre because I usually would remember something that was like this because I would remember it from a, holy cow, is that goofy angle, and I didn't at all with this. So that's kind of bizarre. Well, maybe the Mandarin goes on to become Dr. Claw in uh, <laughs> Fistful of Yen. I just well, love... Was, huh? What was the guy from Inspector Gadget? Well, that was also Dr. Claw. Dr. Claw, yeah. <laughs> I just love that he's got a big M on his shirt. What the hell is that all about? Shouldn't it be in what he's would remember it? the he's a member of the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> okay. Did, well didn't didn't Galactus have a big G on well, his Well yes, belt? this is true. This is true. What a G? I mean, I'm I'm an intergalactic planet eater. Could you maybe put a G on my belt? <laughs> I'll make sure people know who I am. Recognized. Recognize the G, yo. <laughs> Uh, it's probably like the new Superman movie. It's not really a G. It's uh, it stands for "you're screwed" in his language or something like that. It stands for gulp. Gulp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played, well played. That was awesome. All right, are we ready to j- jump into the next book? I guess the M stands for master for karate <laughs> master. Yeah. It stands let's, for, let's get to the next issue. It stands for my God. <laughs> all right, so we're going to jump ahead all the way to February 1987 for Iron Man number 215. This was released on Marvel's uh, 25th anniversary. I love the cover on this issue. I love this issue in general, but the cover is absolutely gorgeous. It's by uh, Mark Bright and Bob Layton, and mm. uh, it shows uh, a couple of my absolute, well, my absolute favorite Iron Man armor, and then another one that's uh, near and dear to me is, uh, so you've got Tony Stark is wearing the um, the silver and red armor that he was uh, sporting at this time, and you've got uh, Rhodey is wearing the classic 70s Iron Man armor, the gold and, and red armor. And they're both flying away from a space station in orbit above the Earth. And it just says, beginning a new era of greatness. Uh, original cover price was 75 cents. This is a gorgeous cover. And I just got a gloat that I recently got this signed by Bob Layton. So. <laughs> so the story in this one is called The Shattered Sky. And it's written by David Michelini. Uh, pencils by Mark Bright. Bob Layton uh, gives uh, Michelini an art, ass- uh, excuse me, a plot assist, and provides the inks. And then you got all the usual suspects doing uh, the rest of the chores on this one. So Tony Stark, we catch up with him, and he's just wrapping up having a medical exam, in which his doctor basically tells him that if the uh, deterioration of his nervous system continues, that uh, his condition could turn terminal. And Tony kind of takes this all in stride, basically tells the doctor, well, you know what, I'll keep an eye on it. If it gets worse, I'll come on back. But basically, I got the impression he kind of blew this off, which he really shouldn't be doing. Gets in his uh, Jaguar and drives away, and he's headed back to uh, his uh, new business that he's setting up. This is at a time where Tony was recovering from 
both his alcohol. He, he had fully descended into alcoholism a couple of years prior to this, and now he's kind of rebuilding his life. Stark Enterprise or Stark um, International had been taken over in a hostile takeover and basically destroyed. So Tony, at one point, found himself brought pretty low. He was destitute, and this is a point where he's kind of rebuilt his life, and he's he's you know he's coming back strong. Anyway, he figures that uh, what's going on with him health-wise has to do with the new armor, that something is different between this and his prior armors, and he better figure it out pretty quick before it literally kills him. And so eventually he arrives where his new business, Stark Enterprises, is being built. And I really like the panel on uh, page four that shows this because it's, uh, it's very cool. It's, I, I love this era of Iron Man. This is really my favorite era, and I love the look of this because it's, it's very Epcot. I think it's very cool looking. And uh, so he goes in, and he's checking basically on the progress of his company and this new thing that's going on where uh, he's going to go. He's having a space station built that... In vague terms, he just says, you know, he's having a lot of internal monologue at this point. He says that he's basically building this thing for uh, bettering the future of mankind. And that's what this is all about. So he checks on his buddy, uh, Rhodey, who is headed up in basically the Stark Enterprises version of a space shuttle to deliver, uh, I don't know, some supplies or something, or maybe to deliver Rhodey himself, because we, when we catch up later with Rhodey, he's actually in orbit on the station doing something, installing equipment or something. Unbeknownst to everybody, a bunch, a bunch of uh, AIM agents have stowed away on the space shuttle, and they're there to uh, release... Well, they're there to steal some sort of secret plans type of thing, and in the battle, because eventually Iron Man shows up. Now, Iron Man shows up to assist Rhodey with this construction project. Ends up that you know he and uh, Rhodey run afoul of the uh, AIM agents. During the course of the battle, AIM releases this, uh, basically this, this slime that's called an Omega Basilicus or ba Basilis. Or, I don't know. I can't pronounce it. Anyway, it's basically like the blob. It just gets bigger, and it eats everything in its path. And Tony and Rhodey have to split up. Rhodey takes on the AIM agents, which is pretty cool. Tony's trying to stop the blob from basically assimilating the entire ship. But it turns out that it's a losing battle, and Stark basically has to abandon the station in order to save Rhodey uh, who he saves just in the nick of time from being eaten by the blob. And the AIM agents uh, end up blowing themselves up rather than be captured by Iron Man. So they don't really have much choice at this point. The only way that uh, that Iron Man can get Rhodey back to Earth now that the space shuttle has been destroyed is to have him suit up in his older armor, his uh, red and gold armor, which Rhodey is reluctant to do because at some point in the past, Rhodey had been Iron Man and it was making him insane. So he's very reluctant to do this, but he realizes that his life depends on it, that this is basically his escape pod. So he don dons the armor again. Unfortunately, as they enter the atmosphere of Earth, you know, on their return to the ground, uh, Stark comes to realize that something's wrong with the armor. First, the cooling system goes out, 
and then uh, the oxygen supply is wonky. And eventually, on the very last page, Rhodey realizes that uh, he's in big trouble because he's literally on fire. And uh, it shows where Tony is coming in backwards, cradling Rhodey so that he Tony's basically using his body, the Iron Man armor he's wearing, as a heat deflector like the space shuttle would do and it would enter the atmosphere. He's carrying Rhodey down through orbit, but we see in the very last panel that black smoke is pouring out of the eye and mouth slots of Rhodey's armor, and he's screaming, I'm on fire. And it says, next issue, the death of a friend. And uh, this was the big trumpeted return of David Michelinie and Bob Layton to the Iron Man title, and what a hell of a star. I think this is a fantastic issue and i love this era of iron man what did you guys think of it well that last that last panel's awesome <laughs> i'm on fire <laughs> help me lord jesus i'm on fire <laughs> Pull me out. this this storyline i if i remember correctly this stuff on the station comes into play i don't know how many issues later but i think tony has to go back up there yes. again Yes, and he does. And he has to fight this, and it's called Spore, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And I, I don't remember why he has to go back to this station, but I know this does come up again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this art is awesome. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. I would, is... have been sh- hmm? if you, I would have been shocked if you picked an issue that Bob Layton didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, uh, I am a huge fan. As a matter of fact, I almost, I almost went with... Uh, with 101, but then I realized that was an issue I hadn't ever read before. And I really wanted to, with this one, I wanted to take advantage of being able to pick something that I knew and loved. So I, I purposely picked this one um, because I really love this issue. But I almost went with 101 just because. What is that the one with Frankenstein? With Monster? Frankenstein's Monster, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I actually remember that. Yeah. But that, yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. But I, I, I own it, but I've never read it. So I almost picked that just because this is back to the bins after all. But I thought, no, this is our big spotlight. I'm allowed to cheat and pick something I've read before. And uh, damn, I love this issue. I, I mean, what's funny for me is that, you know, just it's funny. I mean, if, if my kid self could hear me talking about this right now, I don't know what he would think. Because I was not an Iron Man fan growing up. Iron Man... Much like Thor and a couple of other characters, I just thought was seriously lame when I was a kid. I was like, ah, Iron Man, he's, he's so what, you know? But at some point, I think this was in the, I think it was when I was in the service. So I was in my you know, late teens, early 20s. I bought this massive collection. It was this, this guy had gone off to, I don't know, college or the military or something, and his mom sold all of his comics. And <sighs> I bought them cheap and it was it was a large collection oh, and the in humanity. that in that collection was i don't think it had any of the earlier latent stuff you know michelini latent stuff but it had uh from about the point where luke mcdonald come on and it, and it was the second arc of tony uh hitting the bottle and that's when he lost the company and went down skid row and all that and stain took over and i'm not sure where it started, you know, where that run started and where it finished. But as poor as some of the art is in that particular arc, you know, in that run, because it went for a couple of years, I think. 
and I, I really don't think much of the art, the story was enough to hook me for life. And I went both backwards and forwards at the same time, collecting as much Iron Man as I could. And I basically brought myself up to speed on the character. And, uh, and I really like this particular um, incarnation and era of, of Iron Man, especially as much as I love the earlier stuff with, uh, with Leighton and Michelini, I like the post 200 stuff where, you know, this particularly when they came back, because, uh, there's just something about this whole era. I really like the arts really good. The stories are fantastic. This is just a really solid, um, era for Iron Man. I, I love this stuff. And it was a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know, you you're really thinking, how the hell is how the, how are they going to write a story where he survives this? Mm-hmm. Well, plus it said, you know, the the next issue box teaser couldn't be better because it just it says right there, death of a friend, and you're thinking, oh my god, they're going to kill Rhodey off, you know, which was a, I I think that would be a legitimate thought. I mean, Tony was back, he had the armor back. Did you really need Rhodey? Was he now an expendable character? He wasn't Iron Man anymore. Tony was back, so. Were they really going to do it? Were they really going to off him? And uh, I think there was a genuine sense of of threat there. So, uh, yeah, I, I just masterfully played. Now, the the dude who basically uh, betrayed them uh, really looks to me like Pip the Troll from Warlock. <laughs> yeah, if he was a little shorter, with a with a cigar. I don't know. I'm you know, through, with, oh, with oh, your Guardians oh, of the Galaxy reading, I don't know how big, how much you're on uh, Pip the Troll. The Scott. guy in the in the blue. Yeah. Yeah, he used to travel around with Drax, right? He yeah. With Dra- yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. I know well, he's, yeah. I mostly yeah. know who you're Warlock. talking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Warlock. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know who you're talking about now. Do you know who it is that dies? No, not offhand. <laughs> uh, I know it's not Rhodey. No, no, it is not Rhodey. I just this, ahead and this is pre war machine so spoiler Rhodey does survive but uh it ain't so this yeah, is I think, good stuff i think considering this is like about 25 years old you can probably spoil it it's uh it's the woman i can't Cle- remember Clemestra. yeah clemestra she was integral i got a bad case of clemestra <laughs> She was integral in, in helping Tony uh, pick himself up and, and restore his company and everything. But at some point uh, in that whole thing, her brother, who was also one of the supporting characters, something happened to him. I forget exactly what. And she blamed. I thought he got killed. Tony. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he died. But I, I just it, can't remember the specifics. Uh, was it with the guy that does uh, that pulled like the volcano stuff out of the earth, whatever magma? Oh yes, yeah, he was something all like that. Looking, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he died, and she came to blame Tony, who she knew was Iron Man. So she, because if you notice in that one panel where the AIM guys are infiltrating the space shuttle. She's faced that direction, direction, so she should be able to see them going in, and I think she did, that, that she let it happen. I think she's in on it because she's trying to set him up. She wants I don't to like her him. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very, easy manipula- very easily manipulated <laughs> by these stories. Good stuff, though. I like this. Uh, it's a great era, for Iron Man. Mm-hmm. 
I have seen this cover as a poster, and damn, do I want it. I want it bad. First, you got to get more wall space. Yeah, no kidding. I'm out. <laughs> out. But that's all I got. Hmm? We ready to move on to book number three? Yep. Uh, book number three is Iron Man 232, which is basically the epilogue to the Stark Wars, which was basically the first armor wars. Um, Nothing but Stark Wars. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Silly little Stark Wars. <laughs> stealing his armor back. <laughs> so, and hey, how about that Mandarin guy? <laughs> <laughs> He's a karate master. Oh, oh, wait a minute. I forgot. I'm not supposed to sing. <laughs> no, no. You could sing, Paul. I thought I had a firm rule about that. <laughs> Somewhere... <laughs> In the world, we have just made Andy Leyland's day by me singing some stupid song. I don't know what it is <laughs> about people wanting us to sing. It's it's no, you know what? Andy might want us to sing. People don't. No, yeah, this is true. <laughs> there's nobody clamoring right now. You know, there's no petitions being spread around to get us to sing. Uh, if Actually, if, if there's petitions being spread around, it's it's to get us to close our mouths, not not to not to make any more noises from them. That's for sure. Well, the only thing he just clamored was my dog, and he left the room, <laughs> <laughs> and he was heaving. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta drink some water. I'm gonna, oh I'm gonna make my comment. <laughs> he did just leave the room. <laughs> I'm gonna make my comment before you even start start this book. Barry Windsor Smith. That's yes. all I'm gonna say. Yes. Go ahead. Do your book. <laughs> All right, we have Iron Man Volume 1, number 232, in July 1988. And uh, David is oh, look at that. See, Scott, you've taught me something. You've taught <laughs> me how to pronounce his name correctly. Uh, is the script plot assist. Barry Windsor Smith is the plot pencil art and colors. Bob Layton is the ink art. Bill Oakley is the letters, Mark Grunewald is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. And Stan Lee presents Tony Stark, the Invincible Iron Man. And this is the epilogue to the Stark Wars. Basically, after the Stark Wars finished up, a uh, quick backstory, um, Tony had found out that the Spymaster had stolen his uh, the plans for his armor and had sold it to various uh, villains throughout the Marvel Universe. And he went on a crusade to get back all that stuff to nullify all that stolen tech. And in the issue prior to this, he had just decided to settle down for a long winter's nap. <laughs> and uh, basically, we pick up uh, in a rather haunting-looking um, technological freaky dream landscape. And I'm going to do a little something different. I'm just going to read the dialogue and then do just a little explanation of each one because I think the dialogue says more in here. I, I think that David, uh, David has done a great job with just the dialogue to explain everything. So I'm going to pick up with uh, Tony in his uh, centurion armor. And, um, he's, uh, uh, and here we go. How long have I been hunting it? All night? Forever? Doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I've got to keep on. Do whatever I have to. Got to find it. So I can kill it. There. That hum. That obscene, ungodly hum. Taunting me. Caressing me? Die! Did I? No. 
still feel it, cold like a cancer, cutting, eating. Alive, that infernal hum, louder, it's laughing. Where am I? The terrain seems familiar. I know this place, the creature's lair, where it lives, breeds. I'm afraid. It wants me here, wants me opened. It wants me. But I need help. God, anyone, help me. It takes everything I've got. It just grows stronger, stronger, larger. Such power. How can I fight it? One-on-one, bare hands, the only way. I'll shred its wires, peel its bloody hide. It's tormented me long enough. I'll dismember the beast, disemboweled. I I can't. It's forcing its darkness into me, filling me with electric bile. I hurt. Dear Lord, I hurt. And next we see a Iron Man helmet bouncing along the ground. And then we pause. Rest. We, We now see Tony's face without the helmet. I'll just rest a bit. Feels comfortable. Homey, like I belong. Belong? And he's on a pile of corpses. Ah, corpses, miles of them, and the heat, the stench. Who are they? They're victims, chief. Yours, matter of fact. What? Rudy, is that you? Where are we? Your world, chief. The place you made. He sees Rudy in the Iron Man armor standing before him holding another corpse. But this isn't right. Sure ain't. I built Stark Enterprises in this armor. These things are good, pure. How could this char- carnage be my fault? Figure it out yourself, Chief. After all, it's your problem. Me? I just clean up around here. As he throws another corpse onto the fire. That's scary. You can't blame me for this. It was the monster. Say what? Some sort of creature. I've been hunting it. It's huge. All wires and circuits. Incredibly powerful. So where is it now? It, it, I... Don't know. It's here somewhere. It's always here, but sometimes I can't see it. Sounds like you're on some deep stuff, Chief. It won't go away. What can I get for you? And we now see Tony behind with Rudy as a bartender behind a bar. Huh? How about some bottled courage? Seems you're a tad short on the stuff yourself. Rudy, I'm an alcoholic. I can't take a drink. You know that. You want to escape, don't you? One way is as good as another. Rudy, I need your help. No can do, Chief. Out of my hands. This is your play. But it isn't me. It's the monster. Same thing. So what'll it be? Vodka? Tonic? A double? Sorry, bub. You've had enough. Why are you torturing me? Hey, I'm not the one turning the thumbscrews, Chief. You keep looking for a way out. Maybe you ought to look for a way in. I don't understand. Then here's a clue. You can't handle no monsters till you handle yourself. Last paragraph, hotshot. Bottom line. What is, simply is. That hum. What's it? Dig it, chief. Is what is. The power is yours. Is what. You just gotta turn it around. No! And now Tony is faced with a the irony is that what he's fighting is himself as he sees a large creature meshed with the Iron Man armor and technology, and he struggles against it. No, no. I know where I am now. Hell, I'm the devil, stealing my own soul. But I won't let me have it easily. And he fights back with the armor. He's blown some distance away in this dreamscape. My rage, my terror, channeled into that single burst. I've nothing left. 
but the beast still lives, grown stronger by my resistance, draining me like a vampire, a leech, a lover. It's taken everything, everything I am. All I've left is flight, but where? Where can't it? No, not now. The, my victims. And as he's going across the landscape, arms reach out and grab him and prevent him from running as the creature slowly gets closer to him. Leave me alone. And they cry out, Avenge us. Let me go, he says. Help me. Destroy it. We're dead. I'm weak. I can't. You have power you don't imagine. To the contrary, you're the only, only one who can. I'm alone. No one can ever help me. Glad the light finally came. The light bulb finally came on, Chief. Now you got to use them, Smarts. Rudy, a victim too? I never knew. Save the self-pity, pal. That thing feeds on it. Just remember your the power is yours. Turn it around. Yes, it is mine. But every time I sent my power against that monster, the creature used it against me. Turned it around. I can win. Sounds insane, reversing my repulsors, setting them to absorb energy instead of releasing it. But if giving that thing power just keeps it, just helps it, perhaps the only way to defeat it is to take its power into myself. I've never been so afraid. I've never had a foe I hated so much, a demon I held so dear. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep as he's struggling and fighting and drawing the power away from this nightmare creature. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Ah! And he awakens from the dream after absorbing the creature fully into himself in the dream. He says, a dream? No, not a dream. The worst bloody nightmare I've had in my life. Thought the armor wars were over now that I've got my stolen technology back. But I still felt restless, uneasy, like, ah, who am I kidding? I felt guilty. All the people who suffered because of those stolen inventions, battered, maimed, because of weapons I created, thought I was strong enough to fight, the guilt to deny it, but it kept gnawing at me like some insatiable beast. Guess my subconscious was smarter than I was. It knows I can never destroy the beast. All I can do is accept it, admit it as a part of me, reconcile, and then get on as best I can with the rest of my life. The end. Anybody out there? <laughs> that was an excellent uh, dramatic reading. That was very good. I don't know if it beats Hostess Theater. <laughs> I, I kind of like the Christopher Walken Iron Man. <laughs> but I but well, I do also do like the Morgan Freeman Rhodey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, stick with what I know. <laughs> well, when I was reading this, I was trying to figure, and I said this to Scott earlier, I was trying to figure out a way to... You know, I was going to take notes, I was going to do this, and then I just kept reading the story, and I'm like, you know what, reading this story with a dialogue is just enough. I think it explains everything. I mean, I really like this issue. The art is freaky. I mean, it, it's it's scary. I love the art in this book. I love Barry Windsor Smith. I think his artwork is awesome. Yeah, it's I just, mean... From, from day one, his, his first book, I think, was X-Men 50 back in like 1968 and and just I don't think I've ever seen anything he drew that I didn't like yep I mean it's it's just they could just go on and on about it each you know all the panels and, and just the way that you know the 
I have, it's just awesome. <laughs> I'm left speechless. <laughs> well, what's, I mean, what's what's great about this book is you know you you just read all the dialogue in it, and mm-hmm. I think that gives you the whole story. Right, but exactly. I think if you took the dialogue away, the pictures give you the whole story too, and you blend them together. It's just it it really is just it, it's like a, a textbook storytelling. Yeah, I mean, visual and and the actual story, you know, the actual printed words are, are, you know, both just mesh so good, but each can stand alone and you can get the, the whole feeling for the story from it. Yeah, nothing feels superfluous, even though, like I said, even, you know, even though you can get the whole story from both, it's, it's just so well done. It's, and I'm not a big fan of the dreamscape stories, to be honest with you. But I liked. I just like the way this one was done. Well, what's weird is 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 when you read the issue before this, because I was originally going to do something on the Armor Wars itself, on the Stark Wars, the Armor Wars, whatever you want to call it itself. And I was going through all the issues, and I had forgot about this one. And when I opened it, I saw the Barry Windsor Smith cover, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't, I did not remember this for some reason. And when I read it, I was like, Wow, this is, I just. Whew. I mean, I know I have this in my collection, but uh, it's such a departure from the stuff before it, and I believe the stuff after it. I mean, it really sticks out, you know, because the issue prior, the the actual last panel was him going to sleep at the end and, and, you know, saying, oh, now I could finally get a nice, nice sleep, you know, my conscience is clear, and boom, we go into into the dreamscape, and, and, and here we are. You know, because the prior issue I'm taking a look was, uh, I think it was, who did the art? It's not on the page. Well, it's Bob Layton. It's Jr., isn't it? No, it looks like Bob Layton from what I'm looking oh, at. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Because he was forging the uh, the new armor at the end of that. Yeah, that's right. Right, right. And then there, the, the last page, it says, you know, the first good night's sleep I've had in ages. And boom. So, now, I I always like the armor better with the gold and red as opposed to the silver and red, but the way the lighting is in this, the you know the mood it sets and everything, I think the the silver really really works well. Well, what's weird though is because the issue prior to this, he had already forged the new armor, and in this one, he is wearing the the silver centurion or the crimson centurion, whatever you want to call him. Right. He's wearing that that old armor, although the helmet. Does not I? That helmet looks like the newer one, doesn't it, Scott? Or am I just getting my armors confused? Because I thought that the this that the scarlet armor was uh, the head was wider. The head, yeah, the head's more like Bullet Man. On, yeah, whereas on, this yeah. it looks more like the newer armor. So even that's kind of a little bit of a change, you know, like a dream quality. Maybe they did that on purpose. He slimmed it down, which I don't have a problem with because that's one of the, you know, like I said, I, I make no bones about this being my favorite armor. But a, a common complaint I hear about this armor was that it was too bulky. And I'll agree with that. In the hands of certain artists... It was very bulky, even even Leighton sometimes, you know, or, or I, rather, uh, you know, Leighton inking over uh, Bright. Uh, sometimes it would get a little bit bulky because there's a cover. Let me see. It was. Um, let's see if I can find it here real quick because I was just looking at it. the cover of two twenty two. 
where Iron Man is li- li- lifting up this giant, uh, I think it's a dump truck over his head. It's a beautiful cover, but Iron Man's a little beefy in that picture, and I think it's mostly because of the armor. That that particular armor with the giant shoulder pads and everything was tricky to draw, you know, because if you didn't do it just right, then it looked massive. And I like how um, how uh, Barry Windsor Smith, who, all right, don't beat me up, guys. I'm not a fan. I don't really care for Barry Windsor Smith. Um, but I love how he slimmed that. I mean, he slimmed it and trimmed it, and, and he made little uh, artistic choices in this issue that I think work for the better with this particular version of the armor. It, uh, it slimmed it down just right, particularly mm-hmm. the bullet man head. I, I, he does seem to be borrowing um, a helmet from the future, you know, a future incarnation of the armor. And uh, and placing it over this one, and it, man, it it works. It looks really good. Well, now the first time I saw Barry Windsor Smith art when uh, when I was collecting was when he took over a couple issues of the X Men, uh, the Uncanny X Men, like in the one eighty six. Like uh, the the story with Storm and Forge. Yeah, is it Life Death? I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of that I didn't really like. For some reason, it just maybe it's because I'd had a certain taste for Iron Man. I'm not Iron Man for, for the X Men at that point. I think I think Ramita had been doing it, um, and Paul Smith had been doing it prior to that, and then that got dropped in there, much like here. But I didn't like it there. But here, I like it because of the juxtaposition, how it is so different. It's it's um, it fits the, the 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 tone of the Dream World and all the I you know. Th- the subconscious aspects that Tony's seeing. I suspect that's my ultimate problem with it because as I'm, I, I'm sitting here literally flipping back through the book as you're talking and the art is really nice. I think what it is, I think it's kind of a triple whammy. Um, for one, I'm not crazy about the coloring. The coloring looks a little bit too um Dynabrite or something to me. I, I'm not really crazy about the coloring and the, the coloring always affects the art. To my, you know, unprofessional, you know, I'm not an artist. So to my mind, you know, the 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 art and the coloring and the inking, all that sh- sort of thing just blends together and sometimes it's mm-hmm. hard to you know, get my mind to divorce one from another, you know, so I'm not looking at something going Oh, I don't like this, you know, and and I just lump it into art where it may be just maybe the coloring's off, but the rest of it's just fine. So I don't know. In black and white, this would probably look fantastic. A lot of it's the color. Also, again, I, I think he's a fantastic layout artist. I really love the design of some of these pages, but he's another one of these artists with a damn scratchy style, and I I just don't dig it. This, uh, and in a lot of ways, I see a lot of. Uh, present day like john ramita jr in there and stuff and I, i'm just not crazy about all that cross hatching and all the lines and it, it just looks needless to me it's like they they added all this to try to i don't know to emphasize something and it just looks like a little bit too much line work or something but all that said i think ultimately what my problem is with this issue is that at the end of the day it's a fill-in issue i think if this had been a regular part of the ongoing narrative, I'd probably really dig it. But all that works against it because I don't like fill-in issues. I don't like dream stories. And that's all this entire issue is. It's it's not really 
forwarding the story of Iron Man so much as it feels like we needed a breather between the last arc and the new arc. So let's throw in this, you know, this dream story for one issue just to pad things out. And I'm not a big fan of that. See, now I, I don't like scratchy artwork either. Uh, and, and I hate it, especially when the lines seem to be unnecessary. Right. In this particular style, in Barry Windsor Smith style, see, there are people to me who have that scratchy style, but I can enjoy it just the same. And Barry Windsor Smith is one of the people because it doesn't seem like they're unnecessary to me, this, the scratchy lines. They, they do seem to serve a purpose. There seems to be a, a, a method to his madness that he's trying to create a shadowy image at certain points. Right. Uh, Whereas the recent Ramita stuff to me, and and I really like Ramita. I liked Ramita much more when he was doing a house style, right? Uh, than I like when he's gotten really stylistic on his own. But the stuff that he's done in the last couple of years always seems rushed to me, mm-hmm. and and the scratchiness doesn't seem to have any purpose to it. It's just like filling out the page so that it so that it doesn't look too empty, right? Uh, and that's what I don't like. Uh, I know you've never been a huge fan of Joe Kubert, but he's another guy, to me, like Barry Windsor Smith, where I look at that scratchiness and it all seems to serve a purpose. And and as long as that's the case, I can enjoy it. Uh, the guy who I really think stands out with that recently is uh, Lionel Francis Yu. Yes. There's so much scratchiness there that just yeah. seems so superfluous that it looks like, you know, if, you, if you're sketching a picture, you know, you start off by drawing the general shapes and, and, and you build on it. And it looks like he never erased those initial lines that he was using to guide himself through the drawing. And somebody just inked over them and le- left them as part of the picture. Uh, that said, he did work, uh, what did he do recently? Was it on, I think it might be on Indestructible Hulk. I'm not 100% sure, but I saw some of his work, and it was inked by somebody with a much heavier inking style so that a lot of that scratchiness was removed, and then it looked too thick and too heavy. So I, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know what works sometimes because <laughs> I, like, I didn't like it when they left the lines in and when they you know, clarified them a little bit, I, I thought it was too thick of a line. So maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. No, I, I, I know I, in, in an undefined way, I think I know exactly. Because he's one of those guys, when he first made the scene, I thought, ooh, I like this guy. He's, he's a talent to watch. And the more he's developed his own distinct style, the less I like it. I, I, I'm not sure what it is, but he continues to get scratchier as time goes on. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that at all. I never really liked him when he was on. Uh, I think he was on the Avengers right during um, Secret Invasion, mm-hmm. and I just, yeah, I just, I think that's another reason why I, I got turned off back then. I still look at his stuff, and I think if you could find the right inker for him, and I'm not sure who the right inker would be. If, if I'm sure there are more knowledgeable people than me out there that know all the different inkers and their styles and could point to the right guy, but I think if you took his work and you got the right inker on it, it could look dynamite because I think his layouts are really good, and I think his his faces are good. It's just he needs somebody with a with a strong, you know, take control inking style, and I'm not sure who, exactly who the right guy for that would be. Yeah. Well, see, on the last page, Scott, like the last two panels where Stark is more in the light, you don't see a lot of the cross hatching, and because, like Paul's saying, if you look at the top of the page when he's in the darkness. Before he opens the shade, 
a lot of that cross hatching is you know gives us the feeling of shadow, and then when he opens the shade, a lot of that's gone. Right. And that cross hatching does kind of show shadows through that whole dream landscape. I'm not too crazy about Tony's permanent, though. Yeah, that next to last <laughs> panel, he looks like he needs to be wearing a Frankie Say Relax wife beater right there. <laughs> I, I think no matter how you slice it, whether you love it, whether you hate it or anything, you, you can't escape the fact that um, Tony essentially wins this fight by getting advice on the next-to-last panel at page 20 from Rhodey that says, just remember, the power is yours. So he channels Captain Planet to defeat his bre- his dream <laughs> self? That's And, and Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. <laughs> My knowledge. favorite... My favorite thing about this issue is the special announcement on the bullpen bulletins page uh, announcing the upcoming fight between the Incredible Hulk and Thor in a in a reunion movie with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Now, it wouldn't turn out to look anywhere near as awesome as the artwork right here with the great <laughs> Hulk and Thor fighting themselves, but uh, I or- well, I mean it was the Thor was played by the guy from uh Good luck, Charlie. Thank you. <laughs> It was awesome. I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah, me not so much. <laughs> well, I didn't hate it, but I was. What, you know. 36 when that came out, right? Hey, I'm not as much older than you as I thought. <laughs> I only got five years on you, yeah, dude. Yeah, just five. I know, but I'm going to milk those five. <laughs> well, when did that come out? Like around 87? Oh, 88. Is it 88? Yeah, that's... So, that's I, so that's, I would have been like 25? Yeah. 88, July 88. I think I was... I, uh, I was in school when that came out, but I guess not. Oh, my God, July 88. I was in the... I just went into the Navy. In the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I taped that when it came out, and I must have watched... In the it. Navy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge, huge Village People fan. <laughs> They were just at Epcot. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were there as part of the, whatever they call it, the Flower Power Series or something like that. Because somebody, somebody at work asked me, they were like, hey, the Village People's at Epcot tonight. You want to go? I'm like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> really? No, <good>. thank you. <laughs> I like how uh, Rudy gets bigger and bigger in during the dream sequence. Yes. Right? And until he's, like, towering over him, you know. I mean, he's like three times his size by the end of it. He's just huge. I'm glad you said that because I would have kicked myself later listening to this uh, in editing and everything if I failed or if one of us failed to point that out because I did like that. I thought that was a great little artistic touch. Now, is that because that's like the monkey on his back, the demon in the bottle that, you know, because Rudy's offering him a drink and he just keeps pushing him more and more? But then he then he pulls it away. He's like, "No, nah, no, nah, you've had enough. I'm not going to give you anything." And now he's like, "What? What? What do you mean I can't have it?" Well, it's subtle too because if you notice, the scene starts with Rhodey arguably being a little bit bigger than Tony anyway. Mm-hmm. But then you get to the last panel of page 14, and I was looking at that and going. Am I just not understanding the proportion or the perspective of this? Or is Rhodey supposed to be friggin' ginormous in this panel? 
and then you turn the page and you get the first panel of the next page and Rhodey is just he's huge. hulk size yeah he's hulk size and he's just looming over tony and then i got it i was like oh no okay i get it now this is he's supposed to be you know mm-hmm. like this i i love that i think that's really really a, a great little uh artistic piece there I, I, you know a nice comment you know that you can interpret a number of different ways and and Brody's just tossing the the bodies in into the fire from the field of corpses and yeah it's a lot of a lot of dark images here for yeah. for a comic in the 80s he loves his machinery though doesn't he cuz he this reminds me a lot of his work on the um the Weapon X story that he did mm-hmm. in Marvel Comics Presents. Yeah, I was thinking that same thing. Now, is that post or prior to this? I believe uh, that is post. Oh, okay. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm pre- I, I think it is. I've got the hardback here somewhere, but I can't find it at the moment. I'm I not think- much for Wolverine, but uh, I do own that, you know, the originals of that. I actually sought those out because I, I dug that. I thought that was good stuff. Because Barry Windsor Smith is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then finally in the end, he, you know, but yeah, by using the power and absorbing the, uh, absorbs his other self and instead of fighting it, and he admits the guilt and lives with it. Live it! <laughs> Wimp. Now, you... You think, uh, you know, because we, we see this kind of turn in the first Iron Man movie to where, you know, you know, he sees what his, uh, Stark sees what his, his weapons have brought and has the change of heart, which puts him at odds with, uh, Obadiah. You know, he, he just decides to no longer make weapons and, you know, this is kind of, Kind of t- this is this of course touched on it way before the movie did, but you know that that he's this has been an ongoing thing in his book. So I mean, it was just nice that they brought that out in the movie, right? So, so what's our thoughts and speculations on what I I don't know what what the really the plot is other than the Mandarin seems in the next movie coming out the Mandarin comes in blows up his house he fights him and he gets tossed somewhere in the Midwest. <laughs> That's kind of like what I got from it. And, and then, the speculation and then, I have is that he's going to end up in outer space at the end. Because at some point, he's going to hook up with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. hmm. Well, you know, I happened to see one of the Guardians of the Galaxy's things recently, and, and Iron Man was in it. And I couldn't figure out why. You mean in the or comic? How, in the comic, yeah. Yeah, they put him in the comic, and I think that's in anticipation of the movie next year. But that I don't think he's going to be in the movie. Yeah. But I think they want to tie it together, and I think they want to try and see if they can build up a little popularity for those characters who aren't widely known at this point. Right. And, and you know, just start building up a little buzz. So, so you so know, I, I, I have... Oh, okay. This, this isn't based on any rumors that I've heard or whatever, but I'm thinking that the post-credit uh, sequence or the post uh yeah, the post-credit sequence will be something with the Guardians. Hmm. That's that's my guess. I'd be all right with that. Uh, so I see what you're saying is that basically using Iron Man because he's still the most popular of the Avenger in the movie Avengers, 
you know, he's still the strongest franchise of, of the bunch of them to use him to basically introduce, you know, to, to cross over whatever, to, to bring the guardians in and, and give that a little bit of a boost. Yeah. I think that's, I, that's actually a brilliant idea if they can pull it off credibly, you know, without making it feel overtly like that's what they're doing, then yeah, that could totally work. Yeah. Well, like when, uh, I guess it was at the end of Captain America, the post-credit sequence, you know, was the last one before the Avengers. That came off as a commercial for the Avengers, right? As opposed to a post-credit sequence that's, you know, revealing something new to you. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they need to avoid. Don't don't do commercials at the end. Have something that's just going to make, you know. I I thought the the thing at the end of the Avengers was really really good. The you know just a shot of Thanos. Now all the all the geeks watching it knew exactly who that was mm-hmm. and yeah. thought, oh, that is so cool. And all the people I know who saw the movie who didn't know who that was either went to somebody like me and asked who it was, or went online and looked to see right. if they could find out who it was. Oh right. my god, it's Thanos! <laughs> but that's I mean that's building up buzz and that's making people start being you know curious about who it is that by the time the next Avengers movie comes out you know people will actually be in the know as to who that character is mm-hmm. it's it's building buzz and I, that's what I think they should try and do on this one now I'm assuming that the Guardians movie is going to build up some sort of a, a threat with Thanos that's going to tra- you know build into the next Avengers movie. Well, see, everybody seems to be thinking that way, especially after the way Avengers ended. But I'm wondering now if the Thanos thing, and along with your speculation for Iron Man 3, if the Thanos thing is actually going to work into Guardians to where, you know, because we're still several years away from Avengers 2. So I'm wondering if, we're not going to see phase two be sort of the road to guardians of the galaxy rather than the road to Avengers two. And then whatever happens with guardians and the movies in between guardians and Avengers two will then be the road to Avengers two. You know what I mean? So it's basically Mm -hmm. a three tiered thing. Mm -hmm. I kind of favor that idea because, you know, otherwise I, you know, I'm not sure. See, I liked, I liked, I think you and Chris came up with it. I liked the idea of Avengers 3 being the Masters of Evil. Masters of Evil, yeah. And, and the, all the movies building up to that, having the post-credit sequences basically be the reverse mirror images of Nick Fury putting the, the Avengers together. Instead, this will be, I don't know, the Red Skull or Loki or somebody putting together the Masters of Evil at the end of each one. I think that would be really cool. I, I think that's a good idea because, save for Iron Man, the villains that we've seen in these lead-up movies haven't gone the traditional comic book movie villain route where they've been killed off at the end of the movie because the Abomination survived. Uh, Loki, of course, is still around. Um, the Red Skull just disappeared. So we don't know what his fate is. So there's three guys you could pull in right there. Iron Man, you know, is a good one because you can either, you know, maybe the Mandarin will survive at the end of this movie. So you pull in Mandarin or you just pull in another Iron Man villain. He's got a pretty good rogues gallery. So you could pull in people, even though they did away with um, Obadiah and uh, and Whiplash. 
Now, you was know, Whiplash s- kind of confirmed dead? Hmm, that's a good... I, I would he, think so, because he blowed up real good, but... We could bring in the unicorn. <laughs> the Melter. <laughs> I, actually, actually, the Melter is better than the unicorn, because the Melter, you know, you, you had to aim your chest at it. The unicorn, he had to aim the top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on, stand still, I'm going to shoot wait, you in my head Wait, now. wait, wait, oh, wow. I always, uh, I always thought that ghosts had a really good look, but of course a lot of that was due to late, and I don't know how that would translate to, you know, to the silver screen, but I always kind of liked the, liked the ghost, but I mean, there's what still some really good uh, uh, Iron Man villains that you could pull out and use, you know? Well, you could try the living laser, but that might be... <laughs> Well, I mean, it might be kind of hard. I don't know. They eventually did a good job with the Spy Master. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't think you could translate that uniform no. to, uh, to a movie, but you could definitely translate the character. Right. I don't think we're going to see Hugh, Hugo Weaving, though, as the Red Skull. I think he didn't agree to come back to play. We're going to see somebody else as the Red Skull. Really? Yeah, yeah I excellent. thought I heard something that he didn't, wasn't going to come back. Wow, that surprises me. He he did a really uh, really good job in that too. I thought. Yeah. No, it's I mean, funny though. Like from his his basic look, I always pictured him as Loki. Yeah, I can that's see that. That's because you're you're because you're picturing him as Elrond, whatever. Yes. From, uh, right. Yeah. That, you look at yeah. him as Elrond and just picture Thor fighting him. Yeah. The only thing is, I mean, he's probably about ten years too old, but. Yeah. Mr. Baggins, we meet again. <laughs> I can see that, though. I, Except Morgan I Freeman again. <laughs> no. That was not Hugo Weaving. That was Agent Smith in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I can see that, though. But uh, regardless of what they do, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I think we're going to see some good stuff coming up. I was floored by uh, Michael Roker as uh, Yondu, though. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? Really? He's going to yeah, play yeah. Yondu? Oh, I yeah. didn't know who he was playing. Yeah. That's wow. some messed up shit right there. <gasps> I, I'm not what? sure how that's going to work. Well, they may not. I, I don't know what they're going to do with his voice. You know, Michael Roker's like Paul's age. He's in his 60s. No, he's. <laughs> I was going to say, he's got a couple of years on me. I he's, don't. I don't I think mean, it's got so much to do with with age or anything. It's just I just don't see Michael Roker, you know, blue with a giant like manta ray fin out of the center of his. I just can't see. I can't visualize what that's going to look like. I'm, I'm certain they're going to end up doing something different with his with his look or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're not going to translate it exactly the way it is in the in the comic. They're going to have to change some things around about it. But, you know, it's just, I, I think he was so immersed in his role in The Walking Dead that it's hard to separate him from Merle right now to picture yeah. him as, as some alien. Well, they should have had Daryl as Yondo. He's, he's already got the crossbow. Crossbow, uh, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you, I mean, Rooker's been in a lot of stuff over the years. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he hasn't always played a redneck. Right, no, I know, I realize that. I, I will always probably remember him best as uh, as the girlfriend's father in um, Mallrats myself. But uh, See, I, I remember I remember him as the buddy from Cliffhanger. 
Uh, I think I ever saw that. S- uh, Stallone, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Oh, yeah, yeah, Die yeah. Die Hard on a Mountain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know the movie you mean. I just I don't think I've ever actually seen it. John Lithgow was a villain. Yeah. Was it's, he really? Yep. <laughs> Wasn't he? Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because Davis, Chuck- Davis uh, a scene. Was he a Yeti? Very- was he like like Harry in the in the Henderson? Oh, that'd be awesome! <laughs> they have a scene really early in that movie where Sylvester Stallone is out, you know, climbing. I guess with his girlfriend, and mm-hmm. something happens, and one of the, the things break, and they're suspended, and they have to climb down. And it's it's just a really really suspenseful one. I, as somebody who has a fear of heights, it's one of those ones where I'm sitting there in the movie theater and I'm like grabbing hold of the arms of my chair because I'm like made nervous by watching it have you ever seen uh uh scott um ace ventura pet detective 2 uh no oh because they reenact the scene where uh where stallone was holding on to is it his girlfriend he drops Mm -hmm. uh where actually i think i think it might be rooker's girlfriend who he just happens to be like climbing with and i think that's part of the thing is that rooker resents him yeah and we just Behold. spoiled this twenty-year-old movie. To oh my say. god! Two <laughs> movies, in fact. Now, <laughs> yeah, he's holding on with one hand, you know, doing the Stallone face, and then the hands slip apart, and then she falls in slow motion down into a big deep chasm. Anyway, in Ace Ventura: Peck Detective, uh, he does the same thing with a raccoon <laughs> that falls out of his grasp and falls, <laughs> falls in the chasm. Rocket raccoon. See? Rocket Raccoon, there we go. See, oh, it all comes, comes right, right back to Guardians right. of Galaxy. Yep. Awesome. Well, next time I think we'll do Space <laughs> Punisher. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I actually heard somebody say that that was not that bad. Uh, I've been lied to you, my friend. Just, they, they said just don't think of it as the Punisher. No. It just was. It for itself. You read I, it? Yeah. I, I looked it. at the first issue and it's kind of like, oof. Yeah, I read the first issue and walked away going. Wow, I got that for free, and I want my money back. So, yeah. <laughs> can I can I upload this to the internet, <laughs> please? <laughs> Get it off my computer. Yeah, I don't I don't know what they were going for, but it didn't it didn't work. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsen.com and is a registered trademark of DeManzacor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.